Well, when I was in junior high, I made a commitment with a friend of mine to start running before school. No real reason why, we just wanted to do it. He lived about a half mile away, and so the plan was for him in the morning to get up and run to my house, and then I'd be waiting for him out front, and then we would leave from there, and we would make a loop, and we would stop back by his house. He would go in, and then I'd run home so that we would be running the same distance. We had a great plan in place. We set a time to, to run, and on the first day, he got up, did his part. <laughs> Y'all probably know where this is going. Got dressed and ran over to my house, and I was supposed to be outside waiting for him, and I was not. And so he went to my window and started knocking on my window, and I came to the window half awake, and he said, I'm guessing you don't still want to run today. And I said, no, you guessed right. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go back to bed. I was more committed to sleeping than I was running. It's kind of mean of me looking back. And you would think that he would have continued his run, but he didn't. Instead, he ran home and got back in bed <laughs> as well. And that was the end of, of that. So our big commitment to run every day before school literally lasted less than one day. And this happens a lot in life. We make commitments to do certain things, and though it often lasts longer than a day, we have a difficult time keeping certain commitments that we make. And oftentimes, the reason we fizzle on the commitments we make is because we don't really have a strong reason for doing what we have committed to do and do not really have strong motivation to keep going and to keep those commitments. If our motivations are weak or non-existent, we will struggle to keep the commitments that we make. Well, we're going to discover this morning in the passage we're going to look at today that the author of Hebrews is calling for his readers to make a commitment to something. And we're going to learn what that commitment is. And we are also going to see that not only is he calling for a serious commitment from his Jewish Christian audience, but he is giving them the motivation to do it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. We're just continuing on through this book. Our sermon series is entitled, Jesus is Greater. And today... Surprise, surprise, finally, we're at a transitional point in the book. For our entire study so far, we have been reading and studying about the supremacy of Christ, about how Jesus is better. Better than what? Better than, better than any and everything. He is God's supreme form of revelation, better than prophets, better than angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua. And for the past few months, we have learned that Jesus is also our great high priest, better than Abraham, better than Levi, better than Aaron, better than the Levitical priest, and is a great high priest from a superior priesthood and associated with a superior covenant. Well, today in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, we are finally to the therefore in the book of Hebrews, which means the author of Hebrews is shifting his focus. 
This is a turning point in the book. We see this happen quite a bit in New Testament epistles. For example, in the book of Ephesians, Paul spends the first three chapters of Ephesians explaining, giving his readers a theology lesson, explaining what Christ has accomplished for believers and who they are in him. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, you have the great therefore that comes. He says, therefore, in light of what Christ has done for you, in light of who you are in Jesus, this is how you're to live. Walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In Romans, the therefore comes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. In the first 11 chapters, Paul explains God's gospel of, of, of grace. He, he says, here's what God has done for you in Christ. And, and the therefore comes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And then he transitions to show his readers how to apply those truths. He's saying, here's how you are to live in light of what God has done for you in Christ. Christ. In both of these books, Paul lays a theological foundation down and then he builds on that by showing how knowing and believing those things works in your Christian life. In the book of Hebrews, the author has spent nine and a half chapters laying all the theological foundation down for why Jesus is greater. And at the, at the end of Hebrews 4 through Hebrews 10, he's been making the case for why Jesus is a superior priest. In verses 1 through 18 of Hebrews 10, the author is again providing another summary of the priesthood of Jesus and why Jesus' priesthood is better than the old Levitical one. He again talks about the insufficiency of the old system, the old priest, the old covenant. He reminds his readers that under the old covenant, people did not have access to God because the sacrifices were insufficient and the priests were sinful, right? And through their works, though through that work, people could see the seriousness of sin and their need for salvation, that work could not provide it for them. In the new covenant, however, the work that Christ accomplished is better by far because he has truly accomplished our salvation. The work he did at Calvary removes sin, sanctifies the believer forever. We are forgiven through trusting in the person and work of Jesus, through trusting in his life and death and resurrection. And when we place our faith alone in Christ alone for salvation, we talked about this last week, we change positionally from being a condemned sinner set against God to a forgiven saint who is set apart and holy unto God. Those are wonderful, lofty truths that the author has been telling us about the supremacy of Christ. He's, he's been laying out these, these glorious truths about, about who Jesus is and, and what he has done on our behalf, about his, about his superiority, about his, about his greatness and why that is. And in this verse of Scripture, he is going from the mountaintop of those truths to the blacktop streets of where we live. He's going to show us, here's how you live in light of that, he is going from the heavenlies to the streets of Jacksonville, Texas, and East Texas, right? To show us how we are to walk, how we are to live in light of these wonderful truths. Listen, I want you to get this. 
we see something here that we see throughout scripture that is key we learn in God's word God does not want us to simply know something he wants us to do something now he doesn't want us to do something without knowing but he doesn't want us to know without doing Oftentimes, he begins with what we know, that we know certain things so that we will live in light of those certain things that we know. One of my good friends in ministry once said this. It's really good. He said, the, the Christian life boils down to this. Christianity is about doing what God has called for us to do in response to who he is and what he's done for us. That's the Christian life. Doing what God has called for us to do in response to who he is and what he's done for us. That's it. When, when you read and study your Bibles, there are two questions you need to be asking again and again. And I guarantee you, if you ask this que these questions, when studying the word, it's going to enrich your study. When you read, ask, what does God want me to know? And what does God want me to do? In reading this, what does God want me to know? What does God want me to do? To do well in Hebrews we have talked about what God wants us to know in this book now let's discuss what he wants us to do we find three things he wants us to draw near hold fast and consider one another draw near hold fast and consider one another first he tells his audience because Jesus is supreme in every way because he is our great high priest who has accomplished our salvation because we, through faith alone, him alone, have our sins removed and, and through him we're saved, moving from a condemned sinner to a forgiven saint set apart wholly unto God. In light of that, we are to, number one, draw near to God. Here's the motivation. Because he has provided Christ. That's the command and the motivation. Draw near to God because he has provided Christ. That is the main point of verses 19 through 22 in Hebrews 10. Let's look at it. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, who is Jesus, right? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Notice first the word therefore. We've got to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? It's connecting us, right? Back to what has been previously said. Again, he's been, been saying, he's been talking about who Christ is, that he's, that he's better and what he's done for us. And he says, in light of that, brothers, believers, in light of that confidence that, that we have through what Christ has done, through the work that he has accomplished at Calvary, when he shed his blood on the cross, because we have confidence through that work that he did entering into the holy places into God's presence by the new and living way the way of Jesus that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh notice there let me stop for a minute we see remember when we talked about the tabernacle and all the different pieces in in place how they pointed to Jesus here we have another here notice 
We're told the curtain that hung in the temple separated the holy place from the most holy place is a picture of Christ's body, his flesh through Christ, through his suffering and sacrifice at Calvary. Christ provided access to God for all who draw near to God through him. And, and that's the, the motivation. Here comes the command. The author of Hebrews is saying, in light of what Christ has done, because we have a great high priest, a supreme priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God through Christ. He gives more motivation in verse 22. He says, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The words sprinkled and washed here were very, very familiar to this Jewish Christian audience and were meant to cause them to think about the ceremonial cleansings that often took place during their meeting times, their times of worship as Jewish people. But we talked about that those cleansings that they did, it just provided an outward cleansing for them to participate in ceremony. But notice the author of Hebrews is talking about a deeper cleansing here, a cleansing from the inside out. He talks about the heart being clean as well as the body. He is talking about the work Christ accomplished at Calvary and that is applied to us by faith through the work of the Holy Spirit. That work cleanses us from the inside out. Through that work, we have been forgiven. We, are, we no longer have a guilty conscience. We have access to God. We, we no longer have fear of judgment. We are secure access to God through faith alone in Christ alone. We are secure in Christ forever. In light of that motivation, he says, let us respond by drawing near to God through Christ Jesus. Now notice that phrase, draw near. Remember in the Old Testament, God's people were called to worship him, but at a distance. Y'all remember that? They were called to worship him, but not get too close. They're told that when Moses is receiving the law on Mount Sinai. They're told that when the glory of the Lord filled the temple. They were called to worship God, but not draw near. That changed with Jesus. Through him, we're told to draw near. And we're made able to draw near through him, right? And how should we draw near? In what way? He gives us two. One, with a true heart. Now, I like the NIV translation, a sincere heart. That's what that word true means, sincere and genuine. At times, though we draw near, we do not draw near with a sincere heart, right? There are times, especially coming in here, Week in and week out, as we gather for corporate worship, week after week, we, we draw near in our time alone with God. That process becomes just that, a, a process, mundane and routine. That, that's what happened to the Jewish people under the old system. Worship became routine for them, monotonous and mundane. The author of Hebrews calls for a different approach for God's people. He says, in light of what Christ has done, for you in saving you and cleansing you from the inside out you respond to him by drawing near with a sincere heart not out of a feeling of obligation but out of a deep desire for him a desire to commune with him and grow in that relationship and get this you're probably asking yourself how do i do that the spirit of god does that in us 
You got to long for him to do that work. You got to plead with him to do that work. And you got to dig into his word and grow deeper in your knowledge of the gospel and deeper and deeper and deeper. And the more your mind is instructed by the great work that Christ has accomplished, it's going to affect the way in which you feel, your desires, the way your mind works in the actions of your hands and feet. That's how it works. Notice he also says in full assurance of faith, this is great. Listen, we can draw near to God with confidence solely based on what Christ has done. Don't look to yourselves for confidence. Look to Christ. Do we, apart from Christ, belong in God's presence? Absolutely not. But in Him, we belong there as much as anywhere. Not because of us, but because of Christ. Maybe sometimes you enter into a place like this and or maybe you spend some time alone with God after being apart from him for a time you feel unworthy because of the struggles in your life. Get this, if you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, if Christ is your Lord, though you have sin in your life that needs to be addressed and dealt with, you belong in the presence of God as much as you do anywhere, not because of you, but because of him, because of Christ in you. You see that? If you're in Christ, you can draw near to God through Christ for the right reasons. With a desire to worship Him because your heart's been sprinkled clean. Your sin has been washed away. You're, through your faith alone and Christ alone, you can draw near to God with full assurance of faith because of the confidence you have in Christ and the work that He has accomplished in you and for you. Christ in you is what makes you worthy before holy God. Praise the Lord for that. So the question for application today is, is simple. Are you, believers, are you drawing near to God through Christ? Are you taking advantage of this access that you have to Christ? Because of Christ, you can go to God any and, and every time you want to. As often as you want to. Are you taking advantage of that, believers? Are you communing with God, spending time with Him through Christ? I believe we will all, as believers, at one time or another, to one degree or another, hopefully sooner rather than later, have regret over all the time we wasted on secondary things and for all the time that could have been spent communing with God through Christ because that's what really matters in this life. That right there is the main thing. That right there. That's what the writer of Hebrews is calling for here says, draw near to God, because he's provided Christ. Notice what else he says. Number two, hold on to the hope God has given because he is faithful. Look at Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised 
is faithful. So notice the command here. Again, common in the New Testament epistles. After laying the theological foundation, the author is now showing the practical application by pouring on the commands. The first command was to draw near. Second command is hold fast, hold tightly, hold on to the hope God has given you in Christ. Do not waver. Similar to what he said at the beginning of the book, right? He's been using this this image throughout the book of Hebrews of a boat. And he's calling for them, like like boats have a tendency to do, to, to not drift, to not drift from the faith, but to consider Jesus, to be anchored in him, he says in Hebrews 6, right? Our hope is anchored in Christ. Here he says, hold on to the hope you have in him and do not waver. You know what this verse tells us without having to tell us? The Christian life is hard. It is. Don't believe anyone who tells you, that's ah, smooth sailing from here. Your best life now. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. That is counter to Scripture. Just study what Jesus went through. Study what Peter and Paul went through. Read through and flip through Fox's Book of Martyrs. You'll, you'll see. Those guys didn't have little faith. They had gigantic faith. If life were easy for the believer, the author of Hebrews would have said here, therefore, in light of what Jesus has done for you in saving you, kick back. If it were easy, he'd say that. He doesn't. Instead, he says, hold on. Life gets dark. It gets dark for us, believers. God's people have to go through some, some difficult, tough, trying things. And sometimes all we can do is, is hold on. To just grasp on tight, hold on to the hope that, that, that God has given us through Christ Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews is calling for here. He's saying, hold on to the hope that God has given you in Christ. Do not waver. Why? Into verse 23, wonderful truth here. For he who promised, that's God, is faithful. God is faithful. There's your motivation. So we as believers should be the type of people who hold on when dark and difficult times come because of the hope we have in Christ. And we rejoiced about that yesterday. The hope we have in Christ Praise be to God that we have that. We have hope in Christ, believers. Why? God is faithful. What He has promised, He makes good on. What He promised in the Old Testament, He made good on. What He promised in the coming of His Messiah, the Lord Jesus, He made good on. And the promises to come made by the Lord Jesus and later the apostles, He's going to make good on. He has kept and He will keep he has been, will be, will always be faithful. Though we, we sinned against God, we ruined and wrecked God's perfect world, ushering in sin through our disobedience. God promised to send us a Savior to accomplish our salvation. And Jesus has come, and He has done that great work. He lived the perfect life 
in our place, laid his life down as our perfect sacrifice for sin, rose again on the third day, just like he said, conquering sin and death through his death and resurrection. And he also promises that he is returning for his bride someday soon. And what we're called to do through the difficult times is to hold on, looking forward to that time when Christ returns, because he will, he will. called to be ready when that day comes we're to be holding on until then when the storms of this life hit hold on because God who accomplished all these other works these wonderful salvific works and wonderful works throughout redemptive history he is faithful he is faithful he is certainly going to accomplish this future and final work when his son, the Lord Jesus, returns. The question you need to ask yourself this morning is this, whether or not you are believing and trusting in this work that God accomplished through his son, Jesus. Are you? Have you turned from your sin? Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? I pray you would today so that you can have this hope that we as believers have. Here's the third and final response that the author of Hebrews calls for in light of what God has done. First, he says, draw near to God because he has provided Christ. Hold on to the hope God has given because he is faithful. And third and finally, encourage one another because Christ will return. In this final section of this passage, in verses 24 and 25, we, we see three commands here. In the previous two points, there was two commands, one in each point. We see three here, but, but there's really just one main point being made. Let's look at it, beginning in verse 24. <clears throat> he says, And let us consider how to stir one another up, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, before I explain this, I, I want you to think about how these verses tie in to what's just been said and tie in to the book. The author of Hebrews, after laying the theological foundation for this book in the first nine and a half chapters about how and why Jesus is greater and superior to, to anyone and everything else and telling about the superior work he has accomplished on our behalf for our salvation. He gives the big therefore in this passage and he transitions into laying out how the readers are to live in light of who Christ is and the great work he has accomplished. And he calls for some difficult, challenging things here in this passage. First, he tells his readers to draw near to God with a true and genuine, sincere heart. Not out of a feeling of obligation, but with a true desire for him. A desire to commune with God and grow in that relationship in full assurance of faith. In other words, he's saying draw near with confidence, knowing and trusting in the fact that because of what Christ has done on your behalf, that is what makes you worthy and right before holy God. He also says, hold on to the hope that you have because God is 
faithful. He basically says no matter how tough times get, no matter what difficulties you have to face in this life, in light of the great person and work of Christ, in light of the great salvific work that God has accomplished on your behalf, you are to hold on to the hope you have in in Christ, no matter what, because God has proven himself to be faithful. He has been, is, and will always be faithful. But let's be honest. Those are hard things. This is difficult application. We struggle with desiring God like we should, don't we? We struggle in our commitment to Him. We struggle with spending time with Him and doing so with the right attitude and spirit. We struggle with holding on to the hope that we have when times get dark. The author of Hebrews knows this about us. God does, who inspired His words, which is why He calls for this group of believers to help one another make this application and live this out. Look at verse 24. He says... Let us consider, believers, church, fellowship, Bible, church, how to stir up one another to love and good works. He says, let us truly think how we can move our brothers and sisters in Christ to live in this way. And and how can they do that, verse 25, in the context of the local church? Not neglecting to meet together as as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So get this. Notice how this works together. To live the life that Christ has called for us to live, in order to draw near to God, hold fast to the hope that we as believers have, we must realize that God has provided for us what he requires of us in Jesus. He is faithful to save us and secure us in him and will remain faithful. He has also, however, given us each other, believers. You see that? He has given us brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can stir up one another in the context of the local church to encourage one another to keep drawing near to God through Jesus and holding fast to the hope that we have in him. And and notice the motivation he gives at the end of verse 25. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day is drawing near, believers. We got work to do between now and then. The motivation is that the one who came to save is returning for the church. He's returning for his people. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, because Christ is returning, let us stir up one another to live the life God has called for us to live, a life of love and good works, drawing near to God, holding fast to the promises, encouraging one another in the context of the local church as we meet together on a regular basis. Because Christ is committed to his church, because Christ is returning for his church, we believers ought to be committed to his bride, his church, and long to see his people here pursuing and growing in godliness, moving to be more fit for that day when Christ returns for his own. Something that just jumps out at me in this passage is our great need 
for Christ's church. We need the local church. You need it. You may not think you do, but Scripture says otherwise. You need it. Many do not think they need the church. Professing Christians believe it's not something that's necessary in their life. Many feel in this way that the church is something that's optional at best. Something that is there if we need it. Like a health club with personal trainers. You can attend that, but you can also join that or just hit the weights at home. Many view their spiritual life in that way. What's the problem with that? Well, Scripture, right? That's a big one. The early church would have had no concept of that. That, was, that would have been completely foreign to them. Now, they knew there were wolves within the church, but it would have been crazy for them to think about Christ followers outside of the church. God makes it clear in His Word that we are not to live our Christian lives in isolation, separated from His church. He makes it clear in His Word that we need Christ's church to be who God has called for us to be. We, we need God's people pouring into us, and we need to be pouring into others, stirring up one another to love and good works. We do not need to neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But we need to be meeting together, committed to Christ's church, encouraging one another to live the life that, that God has called for us to live in Jesus. Why? Again, you cannot be who God has called for you to be apart from his church. How are you going to love one another? Care for one another? Bear one another's burdens? Lift one another up. Do all of those things that we're called to do as believers to one another if you don't associate with one another. It's, it's that simple. You need it for your spiritual well-being. Some of the weakest people I've met spiritually, and I'm not being mean, I'm being honest, I've met are outside the church. Professing Christians who do not believe they need the church, they believe the church needs their advice when they stop in and give it, but they don't think they need the church. Some of the weakest people I've met are those people. Those trying to go at the Christian life on their own, I've talked with a bunch of them. They're often way off doctrinally because they don't have somebody sharpening them by the word. And because they're off doctrinally, I can only assume they have issues morally and spiritually because it's right thinking that leads to right living. If you're not thinking rightly, you're not living rightly. We need the church, and the church needs us. We need people pouring into us, and we need to be pouring into others. Are you committed in that way to this church? Well, we've got lots of ways you can plug in. Small groups, men's and women's Bible study, equipping classes, lots of ways. Just food and fellowship where you can just gather with other good godly people and, and connect with them, make friendships with them. The, the small groups are a great place where you, as you're growing in godliness, you can come and provide input that'll be edifying to another and for them to provide input that'll be edifying to you. That's the way it works. You need the church. 
You need to be here, but you need to be there as well in those ministries that we have put in place. Well, let me end with this. We're reminded at the end of this passage that Christ is returning. Amen? He's returning. He's going to make good on that. He's returning for his bride, to bring his bride, to bring his people into glory where we're going to be with God's people in God's presence forever. But we, we also learn elsewhere in Scripture that Christ is also returning to bring judgment for the non-believer. He is. As sure as he's coming for his church, he's coming to bring judgment. The one who came to save is returning to judge. There is a future day of judgment coming for the non-believer. So the question for you this morning is, are you ready for that day? Are you ready? That's an important question that we need to answer because though we know Christ is returning, we don't know when. We don't. Believers were closer today than when we first believed, but we don't know when. Scripture is clear. He's returning someday soon, and that someday might be today, so we got to be ready. We got to be ready. Are you ready? Let me tell you how you can be. Look back at point number one again. You have to draw near to God through Christ. Forsake your sin. Turn from your sin. Give your life up and over to Jesus. Make him your Lord so that you can be forgiven and restored to God and have this great hope that we've been talking about. Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Do you understand that you're a sinner? Do you understand that, that just going at life, trying to be a good person on your own is to repeat the sin of Adam? He tried to do what he thought was best apart from God, and it brought sin into the world and brought this whole thing crashing down. God has not created you to carve out a life on your own apart from him. He has created you to live for him and for his glory. We have turned from that and gone at life on our own but we're told in Scripture that instead of washing his hands of us, God chose to do something about it. He chose to enter in to the world in which he created. God the Son came, became one of us, lived the perfect life for us, laid down his life as our perfect substitute and sacrifice and was raised three days later. He conquered sin and death through his death and resurrection so that we who forsake our sin and look to him and trust in him alone for salvation, we can be forgiven of sin, restored to God, and have life in Christ. Do you have life in Christ? If not, I pray that God would just do a great work in your heart and life right here, right now, show you your sin and your need of salvation. I pray that you would see that and respond to that by forsaking sin, giving your life to Christ. Let's pray.